If you're experiencing the loss of a loved one and searching for ways to navigate this complex emotional landscape, this episode is a beacon of hope and healing. My good friend and grief expert, Kelly Nielsen, joins me today to give you practical tools to help you in your recovery journey. Kelly's personal story of loss and recovery is not just inspiring, but also enlightening. She brings a unique blend of heartfelt experience and scientific insight, offering practical neuroscience-based strategies to not just cope, but truly heal and accelerate your path to wholeness. Together, we'll dive into neurological effects of grief and loss, uncovering what happens in our brains during these intense emotional periods. Kelly shares her profound insights on how to begin the healing process, emphasizing that while this journey isn't linear, each step with the right support and understanding can lead to greater ease and peace. Kelly Nielsen is a grief recovery expert and author of You're Not Crazy, You're Grieving. She has forged a pioneering and revolutionary path in the field of bereavement healing. With a compassionate embrace of neuroscience and profound personal experience, she has crafted the grief relief process, a groundbreaking method reshaping the way individuals process loss. Kelly brings her message of hope and renewal to audiences far and wide, advocating for a world where grief is not a life sentence, but a catalyst for profound personal growth and healing. And this episode is more than a discussion. It's a tool for those seeking to transform their pain into a journey of rediscovery and hope. So tune in now and take steps towards healing and thriving even in the midst of pain, your path to wholeness awaits. Welcome to Created to Thrive. I'm your host, Lori Snyder. If you desire a deeper connection with God, want to know your value and purpose, then you, my friend, are in the right place. I will teach God's word in a simple and practical way to equip and empower you to become who he created you to be because you were created to thrive. All right, my friends, Kelly, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. I have known Kelly for a year and a half through, we met through a a group, a collective group called Kingdom Women Connection. And uh, I just love you right from the get-go. You have an Mm -hmm. amazing story. And so I just want to thank you for being on the podcast to share this important message because grief is very near and dear to my heart because too often we don't know how to recover from grief. And so I, I welcome you on the podcast today. Well, thank you so much. You are one of my favorite people on the planet. And I love, love, love that you are holding space for conversations like this and that you are sharing information and wisdom and hope for people who are going through whatever they're facing in life. And so I'm thrilled to be having this conversation around grief and loss and hopefully encouraging and inspiring folks and giving them hope and tools for recovery. So I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Oh, well, I just love you. And you are my kind of neighbor now. You only live a few (laughs) minutes away from me now that you're in St. Petersburg, Florida. So I love that. Uh, Kelly, for our listeners, let's just jump right in because a story that needs to be told, but also how you 
got through that and what motivated you to even start the business that you have? So can you just share with our listeners what you want to share about your story? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So um, I'll try to condense it as best I can. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian household, but I came to faith at age 30. And faith, as for most of us, turns your life inside out and upside down in the best way. It became a very big part of my life. And I worked in ministry and, and fundraising and all these things. Um, and eventually had the honor and privilege of leading my mother to the Lord. I was the first one saved in my family and my mom got saved. And I had been walking with the Lord for about nine years um, when my mother committed suicide. And it was a traumatic, catastrophic event in our family. Honestly, our family has not recovered. Um, and that was February 1st of 2017. And um, in fact, at the time, my dad was going through some mental health crisis and health crisis. So we were, my mother and I both were praying for my dad and believing for a breakthrough and a miracle in his life. And then this, you know, thing comes out of left field. Um, and it shook me to my core. It shook my faith. I It was a crisis of faith for me. I questioned whether God was even real. I questioned if I had been like bamboozled, you know, that if this whole thing was fake, because up to that point, I I mean, I had seen miracles, I had seen God's hand and provision and protection, I had seen, you know, the gift of healing operate right in front of my own eyes. And so I was so blind, you know, blindsided was an understatement. And most disturbing to me, then and now is the fact that I went to my church to look for help, and they didn't have any help to offer. It was like it was too big. It was too ugly. It was too scary. They didn't they didn't have I mean, they had words and we're praying for you and things like that. But they didn't have practical tools. And they didn't have an example for me to follow of someone who had been through this or had been healed or was walking in victory. So I really floundered for a long time. I went to a suicide support group, um, probably a couple months after my mom passed away. I find the police department of all places invited me to a suicide support group. So I went there and I was comforted by the fact that everyone in the room understood the pain that I was in. And it was nice to be in a room of people who got it, right? Um, but I was horrified by the fact that everyone in that room was barely surviving, I mean, half the people in the room couldn't work. They were just really severely debilitated by grief. And for them, it had been months or even years since they lost their loved one to suicide. So I left that room feeling defeated and like, okay, this is just what life is now. I'm just going to be sad for the rest of my life. I really thought that that was just my lot in life. Um, and I existed in that capacity for another probably six to eight months. And I believed the lie that I would never recover and that I would always be sad. Um, and thank God, God intervened. And I went to a, a leadership event, the Global Leadership Summit. And I heard this amazing speaker, this woman Immaculate, who had survived the Rwandan genocide. And she shared on stage how she was hid away in a bathroom for 90 days with eight other women and literally heard everyone she'd ever known around her being massacred. They were airing it over the radio and she heard everyone being killed. She shared with us how not only she survived that ordeal, but afterwards how God walked her through a path of healing and forgiveness, so much so that she went and met the man who killed her family in prison and was able to forgive him. And more important than any of that was I saw a woman full of joy, full of life, fully engaged in her presence. She lives in New York, has two kids, and she was living and enjoying her life. And in that moment for me, 
hopelessness was broke off of me. I discovered it was possible to recover from these things. I said, if God will do it for her, he'll do it for me. And if she can do it, I can do it. So I decided right then and there that I would recover. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how long it would take, but I knew it was for me. It was available for me. So I started to study neuroscience and just really dive into God's word and, you know, kind of isolate myself and give myself space and capacity to lean into the work of healing. And honestly, through applied knowledge and good old trial and error, like I started to discover what was helping and what wasn't helping and trying out some of these neuroscience techniques. And I started to feel better. I started to get back to myself. And um, about six months after that, I moved down to Florida. And three months after I moved down to Florida, um, my 20-year-old son, uh, Quentin, died of a drug overdose. So the whole span between... It was about a year and a half from when I lost my mom to a year and a half later, I lost my son. So here I was just barely learning how to grieve well and getting back to myself and I lost my son. And what struck me, obviously, devastating, right? Heartbreaking, all those things. But as I started to mourn and grieve, I was moving through it so much more efficiently than I had with my mom. And I was using the techniques that I had learned and it was making a tremendous difference right away. And that's when I really felt compelled that why is no one teaching this? Like, why is no one talking about this? Why is no one sharing the hope and tools that you don't have to stay stuck in grief and mourning for forever? Um, And so ever since then, I have been applying myself to this work. I have taken what I've learned and formed it into a five-step framework that we now lead other people through to help them go from a place of hurting and loss to reframing their mind and working through the loss to get to a place where they can truly recover and truly enjoy their present life and look forward to a future. And so that is, uh, yeah, that is my loss story and why I do the work that I do. Mm. Well, and, and thank you for sharing that. And I've heard your story several times and every time I hear it, it's still, my heart breaks for you. And, um, You've written a book. So let's just give a plug real quick for your book. It says uh, it's called You're Not Crazy, You're Grieving, Your Mm -hmm. Step-by-Step Guide to Accelerated and Complete Healing. And so you have that resource as well. And we're going to talk about all the resources that you do have available, but um, Mm -hmm. I'll put all of the links to in the show notes. But you are one that you have turned your tragedy into being able to give people tools, hope Mm -hmm. and healing in a practical way. And Mm -hmm. and you know me, I'm all about the practical because what I have found with, um, and I too didn't grow up in the church. So when I found trying to navigate heartache or just loss, I haven't had the grief that you have, but I've had various loss that no one talks about that you don't have funerals for. Like Mm -hmm. my marriage basically was ending. Do you find that it's difficult in the church to to find resources? Oh, 100%. 100%. Because we still, especially, and it seems to be an American thing. There are so many other cultures that do grief and mourning so much better than we, than we do. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, and the church is notorious for... I love the body of Christ, but man, we are missing the mark when it comes to grief. The the church is notorious for doing taking one of two extremes, either saying 
cliche minimizing things like, oh, well, they're in heaven now. And oh, well, you have the Lord. So you should, you know, like as if it shouldn't hurt because we have a hope in Jesus, you know, or I actually just spoke to a pastor who was counseling parents who just lost their teenage child to an overdose. And he was counseling the parents that they should just be happy for the 16 years that they had, you know, totally missing that their guts have just been taken inside, you know. Yeah. So we have a tendency to do that to kind of minimize and expect Christians to just be these superhumans that never hurt or have lost. Or the other extreme where we can allow people to enter into this victim place and we want to coddle and comfort perpetually, which does not help people either. And the actually the same pastor who told them they should be grateful for the 16 years two sentences later said, well, I know it's all, it's always going to hurt. They're always going to be dealing with this. And I had to say, why? Why would you say that? Why would you prophesy a life full of doom and gloom? Now, am I saying that they won't have sad days or sad times? Um, no, you know, like you've lost a child. You won't see that child again until you're reunited in heaven. And so, of course, you're going to have times when you miss them. But when culture as a whole or the church has an expectation that they're always going to be a little sad or a little broken or a lot sad or a lot broken, then we're not giving people room to step up into healing. We are telling them, we're putting a limit on them. We're telling them, oh, you're just going to be sad perpetually. So, um, and I think it's because a lot of, especially if a pastor hasn't experienced lost themselves, most, most of us, until you experience it, you don't really know what it feels like or what to say or what to do. And most people are very uncomfortable with it. And so they either say cliche things or they just avoid it altogether, which actually causes an even bigger loss for those of us who've, we all call it the loss after the loss. You have the loss and then you become a social piranha. You make everyone uncomfortable. Your presence makes people uncomfortable. Talking about your feelings makes people uncomfortable. Talking about even happy memories makes people uncomfortable. And then that's a whole nother thing that the person who's grieving and mourning has to learn how to navigate is what to do with all those feelings and where are the safe places that they can go to feel seen and heard and supported. Yeah. And you have a whole program for churches that helps equip them to be really, I call it trauma informed. So Mm -hmm. they help people with that grieving process because too often people don't know what to say. And so that's where they do do the, they say the stupid things (laughs) that are really hurtful. And, but you help walk them through how to actually help the people in their, in their church. So do you want to talk about that right now? Sure. And I do want to say, you know, the majority of support groups, I'm just going to go ahead and say, I'm going to give it a percentage, like 80 to 90% of support groups actually aren't helping people to recover. What I've learned so much about neuroscience is this place of like commonality and comfort and being around people who are suffering with what we're suffering with just perpetuates more and more suffering. It's so important that if you have a support group, that there is a curriculum, that there's a path, that there's a clear beginning and an ending, that there is someone who has arrived, you have to have someone who is healed so that they can show others the way to healing. Otherwise, it's just the blind leading the blind. And and again, from a neurological standpoint, it is so damaging 
to just go and rehash and regurgitate your own trauma over and over again, or to listen to very similar traumas week after week, you're actually re-traumatizing yourself. It's very damaging. So our path is very practical and tactical and it is sequential and you go on a journey, you go through a path that leads you to healing. And I'm very passionate about, so yeah, we have a coaching certification program where we can train either a pastor or a lay leader, anybody in the in the church who has a heart to want to help people who are grieving, we will teach them this framework and how to teach others and lead people through this framework and be able to do, you know, groups or courses or have it as a resource um, in their churches. And that actually more than anything, that's kind of the mandate instruction that that I've been given from the Lord. And what I'm so passionate about is training other people how to use this tool because it's it's not rocket science. It's actually, I mean, it's neuroscience, not rocket science, it's neuroscience. But um, it's very powerful and it's very effective. And we just need people to understand it and know how to, you know, teach others how to implement it and they will see amazing results. So yeah, I'm very passionate about that. And so they can reach out to you and we'll have, again, all this in the show notes, but I do want to just say that you have this important resource and it is amazing. Let's talk about for the person that is recovering. They're like, okay, this is me. I'm the one that is struggling here. Um, they yeah. lost a loved one and especially coming through COVID, I can tell you, I know several people personally who have lost loved ones during COVID, even just, I've had three people that I know that died of a broken heart because they lost a loved one and did not have the resources and the support and the tools to do that. So let's talk about what happens to someone neurologically when they experience grief and loss. Your brain basically gets scrambled. I have no other, you, you, there's an actual name for it. It's called grief brain. So our brain loves predictability. Our brain loves patterns. Our brain is always looking and building on information from days prior. And so when you have a loss and let's say it's, you know, it's a spouse or a child, someone that's interwoven in the fiber of your life, your brain cannot reconcile that. It doesn't know what to do with that because this person who was a fixture who you saw every morning at the breakfast table now isn't there, right? And furthermore, if you subconsciously had the belief that people around you don't die, right? Like bad things don't happen in our family. And maybe you didn't even consciously have that belief, but you had that belief. It just messes everything up. And your your brain is desperately trying to solve an equation that can't be solved in the beginning. It's trying to solve a math problem that that can't be solved. Another thing that's very disorienting for your brain is that you jump around from state to state to state. You're going to jump from confusion to anger to sadness. And, and your brain neurologically does not like all that activity. So in layman terms, your brain kind of gets flooded. It just gets overwhelmed and flooded. That in the beginning stages can look like shock and numb and things like that. But even when you come out of the shock, there's a, and it's varying times for different people, but there's a season where you are cognitively disabled, honestly. That's why it's so amazing to me that we have to make all these major life decisions and we have to throw this big expensive funeral and do all these big legal things when we are cognitively not able to process that information. Um, So that is one tip. I always tell people we have a grief survival guide, which is one of our free tools. And one of the things I say is have a grief buddy, identify someone who's a little more removed from the situation who, 
who you trust, who's close, but not super close, because then they'd be grieving them, you know, more themselves, but someone to help handle affairs, someone to help be a communicator, someone to help organize thoughts and things and events, because you really are um, impaired. You're not in a place to do that. Hmm. Yeah. You just said so much right there. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Yeah. So there's a, there's a misnomer about people have read about seven stages of grief. Can you talk about that real quick? Oh, you mean the five or five? Yeah. Yeah. And did you know that all of those books that were written, she actually was studying people who were dying, which Mm -hmm. is a completely different process. If you're on your deathbed and you're dealing with the stages of coming to terms with the fact that you're dying is an entirely different so it it just that's so outdated that's so yeah. not accurate that's so it is not it it's not a linear progression it's yeah. not a straight path it's all over the place and it's really it's not about going from a to b to c it's really about developing a mindset and a set of tools in order to um, navigate grief when and how it shows up. Because if I've learned anything about grief, it's that it's illogical and it's going to show up when it wants, not always when you think it would or should, or not when it's convenient or not when you have time, it's going to show up. And that's the key is to learn how to deal with it when it does show up and to have the tools to let it not be debilitating for you to be in charge of it instead of it being in charge of you, which is absolutely possible. We're not here to like stuff or minimize or negate or pretend like uh, the loss didn't happen or that our feelings aren't real. What we are here to do is learn how to manage our emotions and be intentional with our thoughts so that we are processing through the loss in a way that's healthy and productive and future and forward looking. And that's what we teach people to do. That's so good. Yeah, because I think that trips a lot of people up because they're trying to say, okay, what stage of grief am I at? And it's not linear. No. And and you can get triggered at any point that could take you right back to a different place where you were months ago and you feel like, wow, I guess I haven't really progressed. So there, it's it's just, yeah, there's a lot of um, damaging um, beliefs tied to that. So thanks for clearing that up. So how does one begin to recover from grief then? Yeah. So the biggest thing that I tell people when they're first starting to do the work, and if you're recently after a loss or you're experiencing some of those grief brain symptoms that I told you, structure. Your brain loves structure. So as much as you can, the first thing I'd work to restore with people is sleep. A lot of people, you know, not being able to sleep is a very common symptom. And so we want to do everything we can to support uh, better sleep. So going to bed at the same time every night, waking up at the same time every day, eating meals at the same time every day, all of those things are going to help to restore some sense of normalcy, neurologically speaking. Um, Also having some sort of bedtime routine is helpful. That's a signal for your brain like, oh, it's time, it's time to calm down now we're getting ready to sleep like little things like that are going to help to restore order. And then once you can get your biology under control, and you can um, start to calm down and gain a little bit more cognitively then you can start to process the loss. You can start to intellectually go through the work of, okay, what does this loss mean for me? What am I believing about this loss? What does this mean for my future? And here's the beautiful part. You get to decide those things. You get to decide all of those things. And that is part of the work that we help people to do, to take the time and space to reflect and pray 
and determine between their conscience and the word of God and whatever their checks are, you know, what is the truth about the situation? What am I choosing to root myself in? And what are the choices that I want to make going forward? And what does my preferred future look like? What, what kind of life do I want to lead, you know, on the other side of this thing um, and take time to do that. And it's easy to say that those are big, heavy, hard things when you're first experiencing loss. So in the meantime, we also do a lot of work around the neurological reconditioning and boundaries and self-care and making sure you have an environment and a plan conducive for healing so that you can really come up with those bigger, heavy ideas around, you know, what do I want life to look like on the other side of this? You know, what does this loss mean for me? Yeah. And I love that you empower people because I know that people experiencing grief go through guilt. Mm. So even when you ask them that question, what do you want? They might not even feel like they can give themselves permission to go there. Would you, would you say that's true? Yeah. So that is actually, so the first step of our process is we call it map maker. And that is what do you believe and what do you want? And now those sounds like simple questions, but I will tell you that the whole half first half of our program is those things, because what do you believe? That's where most people get hung up. So to your point, and it breaks my heart, I've literally seen parents stop themselves from smiling or stop themselves from laughing because they believe if they're happy after their child died, it makes them a bad parent, or they didn't love their child or something like that. And that again, might not even be a conscious belief. It might be a subconscious belief, but that's the work we do on the front half of the program is what are those underlying beliefs? Do you believe you can, let's start right here. Do you believe you can recover? That is going to tell you mountains of, of where to start and where you can go and how far you can go. There are, unfortunately, it breaks my heart, droves and droves of people who believe they will never recover. And they never will if that's what they believe, you know? And so if you believe you can't recover, you have to ask, I mean, is it, do you want to recover or not? Do you want to recover? You just don't believe it's possible. And if that's your your case, then I will show you myself and several other examples of people who have recovered so you can see that it's possible. I mean, that's what saved me was seeing Immaculate on that stage. I'm like, wait a minute, somebody's done this. This isn't impossible. Hold on. I just hadn't seen anybody in my own personal life, you know? Um, but there are a lot of people who believe that recovery isn't even possible. So things like that. Do you, yeah, are they dealing with guilt? So they believe it was their fault in some way. And especially again, for parents who've lost children, I mean, that's fundamentally, that's our job, right? To protect and keep our kids alive. And so I don't care if your child was grown or a miscarriage or a baby, there's a certain part of you as a parent that feels like you failed, that feels like you let your child down and you have to grapple with that and you have to really examine it and come up with the truth for yourself and what you're choosing to believe in order to move forward, you know, and that's a very personal thing. Um, and that's part of some of the work that we help people to do. You know what we're going to do, Kelly, we're going to do two sessions. We're going to have another episode here because there's no way we can fit in all of your <laughs> amazing insight and nuggets here in just one episode. So we're going to do a, a part two for this. So for that person that is grieving, Mm -hmm. that says, Kelly, I need help. I need Mm -hmm. to know how to start living and giving Mm -hmm. myself permission to have a life. What can they do with you? And what program do you have for them? 
I'm so excited about this program because I literally created the thing that I wish I yes. would have had. Yeah. Um, so I actually have a whole team of coaches that help people with this work. And none of us, I want to say, and I think it's important to say, none of us are counselors and that's intentional. We're regular people who went through extraordinary loss and we use these tools for our own recovery. And it's the same tools we teach you. So you don't have to be special. You don't have to have a doctorate. You're just a regular person who's going to learn and practice some things to help get through it. And so the main place that we we put people and where we like to start everyone is our membership. We have this amazing membership called Grief Relief Nation, where um, it is not a support group. It is a recovery community. It is a group of people who are all committed to the work of recovering and supporting each other as we do that work. So people can come in. There's an extensive video library with 50 lessons, everything you could ever want to know about grief um, from not just me, but other teachers and coaches as well. One of my favorite is we have an improv coach in there that teaches about humor and play. And how we can actually use laughter intentionally to accelerate our healing. So powerful. But uh, videos and worksheets, just a wealth of information. But also, you're in a private community with everybody else that's in the membership. And we do weekly group coaching calls. So myself or one of our other coaches on staff each and every week are leading a call so you can get um, the help and the direction that you need. And then even for those that feel like they need a little bit more support, um, there's a there's a plus version of the membership where you can actually schedule a breakthrough call with a coach if you're having a tough day because that is the thing grief again does not keep a schedule and it uh, is not a logical it's not logical most of the time so if you just get hit with grief or you're just really stuck on a specific step in our process you can book a 30 minute call with one of our coaches and get real time help which again uh, I would if I could have had this back in the day. So I'm thrilled that we can offer this to people, that they can get real-time help when they need it, and they can get real tools and support for real recovery. It's it's amazing. And so, yeah, that's our monthly membership, Grief Relief Nation. That's awesome. And you have a, a gift for our, our listeners here. Yes, the because, podcast. because I love Lori so much. <laughs> Um, yes, we actually wanted to extend this membership to all of her listeners. And if any of you, if you sign up for the membership and then you message me, we'll have my information, Kelly at grace for living after Just message me and say, I am one of Lori's listeners. I listen to the thrive podcast. I will be happy to number one, send you a signed copy of my book. You're not crazy. You're grieving. And number two, I will be happy to do a one-on-one -on -one session with me, which is, I'm that's, dusting off my, I don't do one-on-one -on -one coaching awesome. anymore. My, my coaches do, but I would love to meet and chat with Lori's uh, listeners and supporters. So if you join the, the uh, membership, you'll, you'll kick it off by having a one-on-one -on -one session with me and we will really assess where you're at in your grief recovery journey. And I can point you in the right direction within all of the tools within the membership, where you should really start and what is going to serve you the most right off the bat. Yeah. That's awesome. And I'll have a link in the, in the show notes, but again, they should message you at what your email. Oh, Kelly, Kelly at grace for living after loss.com. Okay. Yes. Or you also are on social media. They could yeah, be you everywhere. On yeah. Grace for living after loss on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, on YouTube, all those places. So yeah, you can find me multiple ways and places and message yeah. me in any of those places and tell me, you know, Lori, and yeah. I will get you set up. Yeah. 
you can message thrive. Just we'll make it easy. Just message Kelly with thrive and she'll know that you're, you're interested. So, well, Kelly, would you, I always have my guests pray at the end of an episode Mm. and I know you are a a prayer warrior and an amazing woman of God's. Would you pray Mm. for the listener right now that is needing a better way to Mm. recover from grief and loss? And, and thank you. Yeah. I'd be my privilege. Oh, Father God, I thank you for each and every person that is listening to the sound of my voice right now. I declare for them that right now, as they hear these words, that hopelessness is broke off of them, Lord, that they would have fresh hope stored in their heart, Lord, that they would see the break of dawn. They would see the light of day. They would maybe for the first time have a spark of hope that they can recover. God, I pray that they would come out of the lie or the agreement that they can't recover and that their life is just going to be doom and gloom. God, I just release your promises over each and every life. And I pray, God, that you would even now just quicken their spirits, that you would quicken their hearts, that you would quicken their minds to this idea of recovery. And I dare to say, God, that they would even believe for brighter days, that they don't know how, God, they don't know where, but that your word is true when it says that you work all things for good for those, the purposes of those who love you and called according to your purposes. God, we declare that over their lives mm-hmm. and that good is coming. Lord, I thank you that their best days are yet to come. And I thank you, God, that you're faithful to walk with them through this dark season so that they can see bright days ahead. I declare bright days ahead Mm -hmm. in their journey, God. And I thank you that you surround them with loving support, whether that be through our community or other places that people would encourage them, support them, inspire them, lift up their hands when they're too weak to hold them up, God, that they would be surrounded by love and support. And God, I pray that you would give them courage and boldness and strength to take the steps they need to take in order for their own recovery, that they would co-labor with you for their own recovery. And I just say it's done. I say it's done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Kelly. We're going to have a a part two to this, but I'm just going to ask our listeners that they would share this episode with their friends and family. I know that they know people that are grieving from the loss of a loved one, and this is such an important resource for them. So I'm just going to ask that they would share that now. So, all right, Kelly, thank you so much. We'll do a part two. So in the meantime, you were created to thrive.